Welcome, friends, to Workplace Injury Prevention, a Fit for Work podcast where we are bringing the power of prevention to you. I am your host, Curtis Gopodic, and I'm joined by my co-host, Amber Brown. And today we are talking to John Doney. It was a pleasure, Curtis. We've got National Safety Month coming up for June, and John Doney is coming to us from the National Safety Council. It's a very well-known organization, been around for about 100 years, I believe. So they've got a lot of history and track record of you know learning about safety, researching safety, cooperating with others to learn how to make the workplace a safer place. So he's been with them for a long time and going to bring his expertise on what the National Safety Council is doing, as well as giving us just some highlights on what we can do at each of our individual workplaces. Yeah, John speaks to some special initiatives they've got going on for National Safety Month and also touches a little bit on how being a member of the Campbell Institute can help businesses achieve operational and financial successes. So here is our interview with John Doney. Well, it's good to have you with us, John, and talking about the National Safety Council as well as some other things that you're into. Sounds like you've had a bit of a, you know, you've got a wide array of knowledge and experience. So just for our listeners, can you give us some background with you in regards to how you got into safety and where you are today with the National Safety Council? Sure. Great to be here. Thanks for uh, bringing me in for this. So yeah, I'm John Doney. I'm the Senior Director of Thought Leadership at the National Safety Council. I've been at the organization now for about 13 years, gone by very, very quickly, I'll tell you that much, particularly this past year. But my background by way of education is actually in sociology and English. And so I came at safety in a kind of an unorthodox way. I started out in one of my early post-undergrad roles working at an integrated advertising and print firm. And that company had a, had a really big integrated print plant with a lot of big rolling machinery and loud noise and everything else. And a few weeks into my my career there, there was a, an effort stood up to do a quality management system in the organization. And so, you know, the email went around, we're looking for volunteers, someone want to join this. And I was kind of back office at that point. And I said, well, you know, that sounds like a good way to get a leg up in the organization. And I feel like anytime somebody asks for volunteers, it's usually the new people who take them, right? That's and right. they take you a different direction. <laughs> That's right. And, uh, you know, lo and behold, you know, six weeks later, the only folks left standing on the quality implementation were, you know, myself and one or two other people. So that, that's kind of how, how it went. But it was it was a great chance to get to learn how to do sort of systems thinking and very quickly learned going out and looking at quality issues. Uh, almost every time you see a quality issue, there's, there's very likely a safety issue or a health issue right behind it or aside it. So you think about the things that are causing um, malfunction in a, in a print facility, probably someone's doing something dangerous, you know, to try to correct it potentially, or there's a dangerous situation that's created as a result. So got really conversant with safety from that and uh, really found my passion for for doing that and did safety, health, and quality in the field for a little bit uh, following from that. Ended up joining the council you know, thereafter, 2008 or so. And the whole time I've been at the organization, I've really been working on, on our workplace side of the coin. So the National Safety Council covers, really broadly speaking, three different major topic areas. We've got our, our core in workplace safety. We also have a roadway safety uh, and transportation safety practice. And then we have a, uh, an impairment practice which covers a variety of different topics from opioid and substance misuse to fatigue, distress, to mental health and things of that nature. So in any case, you know, over the over the last 13 years, I've been working on the workplace side of the house, uh, working with really our more mature organizations in that space, those who have been doing system safety and, and leading edge sort of activities the, 
entire time. And that started with our with our Robert W. Campbell Award, which I was kind of brought on board to grow and to nurture. And it's expanded out into the Campbell Institute, which we launched in 2012. And then some new programs uh, that we've launched since then, like our Work to Zero Focus on Technology, our Safer Initiative, which is our COVID-19 response effort, and you know a number of other emerging issues like psychological safety, um, ESG and sustainability, all sorts of different exciting plates that I get to spin every day. So it's, it's been a it's been a great uh, journey with the organization. And I'll say, you know, one of the things that's been super exciting is that you know, 13 years ago, even probably as near back as five years ago, I had to do a lot of explaining as to why someone with a sociology and English literature and writing background would be talking to a bunch of engineers. And there was a lot of skepticism, you know, sometimes, sometimes well-intended thrown my way. And I think, you know, in, in the past several years, we've certainly grown that discipline out to where there's very obvious reasons why you have, you know, organizational psychologists, sociologists, folks who are coming from what you might otherwise term the soft skill or soft science background who are leading the way in, in safety and health. So it's been really exciting to see that emerge as a, as a really core part of the profession and be able to bring those two sorts of sorts of skill sets and groups of people together. So it's been a, been a fun ride. Yeah, it's right. it never ceases to amaze me how when one profession is not the end-all be-all for a situation because like you said that if there's an engineering issue it could be engineered just fine but the engineer didn't take into account the human aspect of using the tool that they're just not trained on so that's really great that you've you've seen that kind of in the forefront yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the whole the need for good communication skills, the ability to to understand how things are going to be adapted and absorbed culturally, even just in a single building or a single environment with uh, different groups of people who have different mentalities. You know, those are all things that are just as necessary in safety and health as you know, being able to calculate what the the load bearing limit is on a on a warehouse stack, um, you know, a rack of uh, that you're holding things on. So you you need both. You don't need just one in isolation because you'll You'll be, you'll have the different, the other end of the problem. But yeah, it's it's been a, it's been really cool just to bring in those new sort of emerging disciplines into some of this. One of the one of the most exciting things I've I gotten the chance to work on in the past few years is is a, a collaboration with uh, an art museum in Toledo, Ohio, uh, which has a, actually a world class museum in a place where you would never expect it. They really think about how you bring visual literacy and the ability that the the art, that art historians and and folks who who do art for a living they have that ability to really read visual language. Uh, that's something for us in the safety field. You know, every day we're presented with with visual cues for where risks might be and where unsafe conditions might be. And being able to hone those skills and know how to use them is is really important. And oftentimes where we fail is when we, you know, we walk by something every day and we just don't see it. Well, there's a reason we don't see it. We haven't haven't worked that muscle as hard as we've worked other muscles. So just being able to bring those those new disciplines into the conversation and explore how they might help us think about things in a different way has been really exciting and rewarding and hopefully, you know, impactful for organizations that are out there using those sorts of tools and resources. That's an amazing resource. I, you know, I was actually just having a conversation on site uh, last week, I believe, as far as putting together new higher training materials. And the woman that I was speaking with, she, she was saying, well, remember, you know, we want to have 60% visual, 40% word-based things. So to have that connection that you have to make the visual pop and, and catch the eye is amazing. 
Yeah, it's it's a really cool thing that I you know I, it was one of those ideas that came that that came to you know around a fire pit conversation at a hotel one night where we're that's talking kind. about exactly yeah where we're, where we're talking about you know what are some new and exciting things we're seeing and you know it sounded a little harebrained initially as we were talking about it and then we realized there's a whole bunch of depth here that that you wouldn't have expected and and on the training front you know I've I've heard quite a bit recently about sort of the IKEAization for lack of a better word of uh, of training and you know I don't know those of us who have put together IKEA for might balk at that idea a little bit. Um, it doesn't, doesn't really show shine a lot of confidence. I mean, you, you bought a bed and you've been in a building the couch. So I like I like to think of it as the the Legoization. The, those usually turn out pretty good. The Lego structures. That's, there you go. <laughs> That's a much better way to put it. A much more comforting way to put it. So, but, but the same concept of you know being language agnostic, being able to show people, not tell people, and that plays into some of the things we've been exploring on the technology front too, with AR and VR. So, you know, all, all of this stuff is coming to a head and, you know, I'm, I'm really excited as we start to get our head above water here with uh, with where we've been over the past year, the pandemic, um, you know, really being able to get back in the weeds of some of these ideas and explore them and and uh, see what what we can do that's practical with them. Because that's that's always the, the challenge, right, is you've got these really cool concepts. How do you how do you activate them and, and make them work for people? Before we dive any deeper into all of these different areas you've got your fingers in, we're having you on because June is National Safety Month. Can you tell us of any special initiatives the National Safety Council is doing for National Safety Month? Yeah, absolutely. So every every June, we sit down with a whole bunch of folks uh, internally and externally, and we think about you know what's top of mind right now. What do we need to talk, be talking to people about? How are we going to help them in this in you know in this one month that we have where there's a little bit more attention to to safety than perhaps at other times? And so every year around this time, we do a big campaign. Uh, we pick four big issues across our different practice areas. I mentioned workplace, roadway, and and impairment, and we try to not only have a kind of a multi-channel communication campaign on that issue, raise awareness, but provide access to tools and resources and uh, and guides for folks. So our, we, we're a member organization. So of course, our members do get a variety of access to those tools, maybe more so than the general public does. But as a nonprofit, we also want to make sure we're getting these things out as, as wide and as far as we can. So you know, just some of the issues we're going to be talking about, of course, include the return to work and COVID-19 response effort. We'll also be um, doing a fair bit on the psychological safety topic and, and talking about how all the things we've seen, both with the pandemic and with sort of the social injustice and, and unrest we've seen in the U.S. over the past, you know, six, 12 months, those have really brought to the fore for organizations the need to think about feeling safe as well as being safe, being able to be your whole self at work, being able to speak up on both safety issues and things that just make you, um, you know, psychologically whole. So we're, we're going we're gonna to share some webinars, some resources, some toolkits on some of those sorts of topics. So um, be on the lookout in June. Uh, all, we'll have a special uh, website where we'll house all that information. Uh, but we'll be uh, sharing plenty of uh, email communication campaigns and and uh, and quick hits on on those topics. Well, that sounds like a lot of great things get involved, and I feel like you know most of the more industrial settings, if you will, they they tend to get a bad rap that the, all these all they are is just factories and they're dark and they're dingy and they're dirty and nobody wants to work in these settings. But really, they they are becoming more of a place that you described where you know they're they're much better lit they have a cleaner environment they want you to be involved and feel safe that they're not the place that well, it was 60 years ago that they're completely different now would you agree with that how people think they still are compared to how they really are now 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, certainly, you know, in any given corner of the world, there's probably counterexamples to that, I'm sure. But for the most part, you know, I've gone to my fair share of facilities, manufacturing, chemical, otherwise. And, you know, generally speaking, there's a lot of attention paid to how to make these environments more comfortable for folks, both physically, as well as just from a, from a you know, mental health perspective, break rooms, on-site uh, amenities, things of that nature. So I do think that's that's changed a lot in, in the past 20, 30, 40 years. I also think, you know, to the point of just how employers are coming at this more generally, when you think about the concept of needing to feel safe to be safe and embracing diversity, equity, and inclusion, you know, all these sorts of things, you might think what types of organizations would be on top of this from a safety perspective. And you might think about tech companies or, you know, startups or folks who, who are really resource rich and able to, to go at all these sorts of things. But really, one, some of our earliest partners in this work have been organizations like U.S. Steel, Comores. These are, these are big, heavy manufacturing companies and chemical manufacturing companies who, you know, maybe for the common perception, aren't the kind of organizations organizations where you would have thought that would be taking root and flourishing, but it truly is really where where a lot of that, that work is is being done. So I think, you know, there's it, it's an interesting challenge. Some of it's demographic in nature where we haven't had a lot of those, uh, a lot of folks uh, my age and younger who are, who are really interested in going into those sorts of fields. I think a lot of it is because of the perception that still, still lingers from, you know, misconceptions of where we were 50, 60, 70 years ago. Hey everyone, if safety is your passion and you want to make an impact in workplace injury prevention, check out the Fit for Work career page at wellworkforce.com. The Fit for Work culture is one of our key differentiators. Simply put, if we were able to continually foster a culture where each person is committed to growing and has the support and resources around them to do that, we win both personally and professionally. Our clients take notice too. We're extremely proud of the team that we've created and are still growing. Driven by the impact we we can make on a day-to-day basis and the opportunities present for both personal and professional growth. Join us in becoming a part of an industry-leading team dedicated to growing together and helping businesses nationwide achieve a better quality of life for their employees. Check out the career page at wellworkforce.com and click on the open positions button. John, earlier you mentioned the, the Work to Zero initiative. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we launched Work to Zero, gosh, I think 2018 or so after a couple of years of run up. But the, really the goal of Work to Zero is to eliminate serious injuries and fatalities on the job by 2050 through technology. So really looking at how we use that particular tool set as a way of getting at some of those harder to solve issues. You know, if you look at the arc of where safety performance as as a nation has been for the US and for the world has been over the past let's say 100 years we've gotten really good really quickly on a, on a kind of that timeline at keeping people much much safer in the workplace in fact you're you're more likely to be hurt or injured or killed in in many other venues particularly our roads than you are in the workplace but by the same token there are still you know as of our most recent data in the US about 5000 preventable deaths in workplaces uh, nationwide every year and getting to solve for those is is sometimes a tougher nut to crack. They're they're less frequent, certainly, so they're they're a lot harder to understand all the complexities and nuances behind. They're often multi-factor in nature, you know, and, and they they require very complex solutions because if they were easy, um, for the most part, we would have we would have fixed them by now. So when we looked at this problem, we thought about you know the unique way to leverage technology here was we we all know as safety professionals the single best way to prevent someone from being hurt or killed is to remove 
the person from that from that activity, right? And that's that's using the traditional hierarchy of controls that says, you know, first you first you eliminate the person or you know the person from coming into contact with the potential hazard. If you can't do that, you substitute or you know find another way of doing the process. If you can't do that, you create some you know engineering controls and, and figure out how to mitigate the risk. And then from there, you go down into you know administrative controls like training or, or protocols or processes. And then you know even further down. If you can't do any of that, you equip them with PPE and you, you hope that that will be that that's sort of the last line of defense, right? So, you know, we wanted to look at the top of that hierarchy and say, what can we do to eliminate or engineer out, you know, some of these some of these hazards from things like working at heights, which still kills an awful lot of people in the U.S. There are ways we can do this, whether it's by utilizing drones, for instance, to go perform inspection work on a, on a really tall piece of equipment versus sending someone up there to do it. So the, the whole mindset behind Work to Zero was to go after this you know, technology piece from, an, from a lens of what's actually going to have a material impact on keeping people safe, preventing people from dying on the job, and figuring out what, our, what our, the best solutions are out there, uh, helping organizations understand their efficacy, how to implement them, uh, why they're effective, making the case for you know, going in on some of these things, which can be very hard for even very big organizations. You know, what's the return on investment? How long do we have to wait for this to work? You know, versus putting something that's a stopgap in place. So we've partnered with the McElhatton Foundation, which is a an organization based out of the Pittsburgh area that has a has a real focus and drive uh, toward safety and health and toward this toward this this mission. They grew out of the Industrial Scientific Corporation, which was a a gas monitoring device uh, company that was kind of purchased up by another organization around that same time. But they really put almost all the profit from that sale into this foundation that would be laser focused on on eliminating death on the job, um, in addition to a few other kind of issues. So we've partnered with them now for the past three years to do that work. And we've published a number of reports. We actually just recently launched a website where you can go in and get profiles of all these different technologies, understand more about them and their use. And we're gearing up for a cost calculator for return on investment for some of these solutions uh, that'll be launching later in the summer. So definitely stay tuned for that and we'll provide updates where we get them. But we're really looking at the, the applied practical way to take things like everything from robotics to AR and VR and actually put them into you know, material use in organizations to save lives. So really, really cool uh, program and something that you know we feel will do a lot of good for organizations who maybe are daunted by the prospect of engaging with some of these technologies. I feel like uh, the minute you mentioned drone, Curtis's ears probably popped right up because he's our. You our know tech me guy. so well. <laughs> you know me so well, Amber. <laughs> I just I I find that that you know that that's fascinating and and it's so great to hear that you have you know found partners for this initiative as well because I I, I just think that there are so many different avenues that we can take technology these and not necessarily you know a lot of a lot of different places are using technology to quote unquote, replace the worker. But this is, you know, to keep the worker more safe. And so I think that that's a great perspective. Yep. And it's, it's easy to get distracted by the shiny object too. I mean, there's a lot of organizations that will go after tech because they see their peers doing it or competitors doing it. And they they don't often ask the question of, can you know, can we or should we rather than can we? You know, so, so I think that that's kind of what this is trying to bring some perspective toward is when you layer on what you want to get at the end of the day, which is keeping people safe, what then becomes the most effective ways to do it and what technologies are the best to pursue. Yeah, I feel like for me, I... 
I love technology, but I'm a human first. Like I, I know other people who they seem to be uh, the technology first and a human second. So I, anytime that the technology makes your life easier, that's the stuff that gets me super excited. Um, so really, really cool stuff with this work to zero and great to see where it's going now. So you talk about the, the Campbell Institute as well. So would you be able to give us kind of a rundown on how being a member helps businesses achieve this different operational and financial success. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll, I'll take a step backwards from that and talk about what how the Campbell Institute came to be, and that'll that'll help answer that question too. So I mentioned the Campbell Award, uh, which we started around 2004, a few years before I got to the organization. And that award is really that the core idea behind it is to recognize organizations who are integrating environmental health and safety into their business operating practices in a really meaningful and kind of embedded way, and using that to accelerate business performance uh, and essentially make the case that doing things safely is doing things right is, is good business. And our, our first president of the organization back in 1913 said safety is the study of the right way to do things. So that, that was Robert Campbell. That was that was that guy. And when we, we looked at that quote, we said, well, we th- that's what this award's all about and we need to name it after him first first of all. But second of all, we need to we need to look at this, the spirit behind those words, which which still to some degree I think folks would some folks would argue with uh, in 2021, you know, a hundred plus years later. So that award began to you know look for organizations that were doing that the right way could make the case for it could share how it had impacted their business as well as kept people safe and began to publish case studies began began to recognize these winners and we sort of developed this sort of circle of organizations who either they'd won the award or they were a finalist or they'd become attracted to this whole concept of of what the award was trying to achieve um, and we realized we needed a bigger boat um, we, we had this great award uh, life cycle that continues to run and, and perpetuate. And we name great organizations that winner circle every year. But we also needed a way to grow out from there and to, to get out of that year over year life cycle and do more research, bring people together, convene, you know, these these organizations that were at the leading edge of all of this and not only help them get better and help them drive those incremental gains that they they were looking for because they're on that kind of long tail of performance where, you know, they've they've solved the big stuff and they're now looking at the things that happen less frequently or the things that are that are slightly, you know, further down the curve. So certainly to help them get better, but also to take all this great information, learning, best practice, and share it out to everyone across the Spectrum of doesn't matter whether you're a small organization somewhere with one site or you're you know multinational who's really still now trying to mature their programs. You can look to this uh, aggregated information and you can gain value from it. So the institute you know has a has a dual purpose. Its members come on board not just to benchmark and share and learn from one another. And we have a wide variety of benchmarking activities, both formal and informal, that facilitate that on any number of topics. Lots of work groups, discussion groups. In fact, just yesterday we held one of our semi-annual um, what we call exchange events, where we bring our members together to talk about some topics they've selected, do kind of TED-style presentations on them, and then go into discussion for with the cross-section of the members on these topics. So we spent all day doing that yesterday. So that, that group comes together to do that, but then they, they come together with the purpose of, we're going to research some of these things, we're going to share our practices because safety isn't proprietary, and we're going to get them out into the into the world. So, so that's really, um, and that virtuous circle that kind of comes about from that attracts new thinking, you know, things like visual literacy, like I mentioned 
mentioned earlier, opens up the aperture for those new ideas to kind of come into the come into the conversation. So those members get value out of engaging with those concepts early and often. They get to shape this work and and help um, push it where it needs to go. And they get the sense that you know at the end of the day they're building legacies for not just themselves as individuals, but for their organizations as contributors to this you know broader body of knowledge. You know, I really like what you said as far as the the thought sharing process that goes on with your members. You know, that's something that's that's special with the company that Curtis and I work for is that we share any and all information, you know, across the company. You know, if one person has already put together some new hire flyer or something like that, here it is. Everybody use it as you need instead of reinventing the wheel. And I, I've never been a part of something, you know, where it isn't the selfish motivation where, no, 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 I created this. I'm going to just use that. And so having an organization such as the Campbell Institute, where you can pull together all of these safety professionals to be able to share your ideas and share these thought processes and, hey, this has worked at my place. You guys should try this. I think that's just just an amazing opportunity. Yeah, it's it's super rewarding and super humbling to be a part of. And, you know, I, the way we look at it is, you know, change in organizations that we work with and change within the profession can take a long time. It can take a, take a while to to research and, and, you know, implement a lot of these programs or ideas. But once they do get in the field, such even one small change to a policy or a program can just have such a huge impact and, and ripple effect. You know, you, you think about an organization like McDonald's changes one ingredient on, on one sandwich. Sandwich. And that sounds like a little thing, but the amount of work that goes into it, the amount of change that it, that it has for people is, is big. You know, you, you reduce the salt content in your fries a little bit and the, the public health effect of that, you know, is enormous. So we think about that ripple effect of doing all this background work, even for one small incremental change can save people's lives. And, you know, years later you hear about, we heard heard you talk about this in you know, 2014 at this event, you know, way back when, and it took us some time to get there, but we did it. And, you know, you get to hear all those great stories of, you know, how it's impacted people. And at the end of the day, that's what keeps you waking up every day, right? It's, it's a tremendous sense of drive and motivation to to have a, a reach far beyond that that you you would normally think. And and again, just super honored to, to be a part of that effort and get to do that every day as, as part, of, part of my job. That is really cool. And finding that passion for you. Safety, it seems like there's few people that are as passionate as safety people. And we can definitely tell that you enjoy it because you know it, it does make a difference. And so thank you, John, for your overview of, of what the National Safety Council is doing. And we're excited for National Safety Month. And thank you for joining us today. Likewise. Great to be here and have me back anytime. Enjoyed the conversation a lot. We really want to thank John for joining us for National Safety Month. You know, it's something that I mentioned during the interview as well, but with the Campbell Institute and as being a member, you get to kind of join in with this meeting of the minds. And whenever we have group together with a common passion and a common goal, that's when the hard work gets done. And, and so that's really exciting to see that they are a part of that. Yeah, I really like how he said that they were having campfire conversations and they thought about how can we make safety more visual because it's so important to be visual. And I mean, those type of resources are just wonderful, especially when they happen in a setting where it's, it's not just the day-to-day work. These 
these type of people, they, they just live safety all the time. And it's something you can't just turn off safety. You know, that's not something you want to leave at the office. So really great stuff seeing what John is being able to be a part of and what this the National Safety Council in general is doing to help improve people's lives in any way they can. And that's just part of our mission and what we're trying to do as well. So we want to thank you for listening to this episode of Workplace Injury Prevention, a Fit for Work podcast where we are bringing the power of prevention to you. Please like and subscribe wherever you listen. And to get started preventing injuries, please visit our website, wellworkforce.com. And remember, prevention improves lives.